0: All right. This morning we will begin with some scripture, and we'll start. What we're going to do? Obviously, we're following the liturgical calendar, the lectionary uh, this year, and it's always the same thing. With at least for me, with the lectionary, is either you've got. you've got you know two or three readings and the two or three readings gives you so much that you don't know which reading to go with or if you try to combine it you 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 come up with who knows like so much like how am i going to pull that off in one sunday or in one hour or sometimes what will happen is you'll realize that the three scriptures or two scriptures fit together very well, but it kind of brings up a theme or a topic. And you're like, well, we could explore that for six months. And then of course, by following the lectionary and the liturgical calendar, we also know that sometimes there is a specific important day. And then that day can, just the theme of the day can dominate, you know, and and you could do hours, weeks of study. So today we kind of have a a number of factors. The scriptures themselves, at least three of them, you could go three completely, you could go three sermons easy. In fact, you could probably turn some of them into a series. So that's going to be difficult enough. And today is a special day, and just that concept of today could lead us to spend a lot of time. So how we're going to put this all together, well, we'll find out. But I know the best place to start is just with the scriptures themselves. So go to Isaiah And as soon as we hear the word Isaiah, we all do what? (sighs) Right? Okay, because Isaiah is so difficult, right? It is one of the most difficult books. I know preachers never say a book, well, it's weird. Preachers will say it's difficult, or this is typically the way a preacher will say. Some people say this is very difficult, but in reality, it's extremely easy. So I I never do that because I say it's difficult and it's, well, it's difficult. But Isaiah 60. Now, um, if you know what today is, you're going to catch on quick. If you don't know what today is, you may not catch on quick. But I'll look at the scriptures, and as always, I'm going to ask you to tell me what what's the common thing here, what's the, what's the common denominator here, and let's see if you can figure it out, all right? Sometimes it's a specific word. Sometimes it's a specific concept. Let's see if you can figure it out. Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 6. Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and the kings to the brightness of thy rising. Lift up thine eyes round about, and see all they gather themselves together. They come to thee, thy son shall come from afar, and thy daughter shall be nursed at thy side. Then thou shalt see and flow together, and thy heart shall fear and be enlarged, because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee, the forces of the Gentiles shall come unto thee, the multitudes of camels shall cover thee, of the dromedaries of Midian and Ephah, all they from Sheba shall come, they shall bring gold and incense, and they shall shew forth the praises of the Lord. Right? And that's simple and clear. Okay, all right, I don't know if it's simple and clear, but does any specific thing kind of stand out in these six verses? Okay, glory, shine. There's a lot of gathering, okay, all right. Is there anything repeated? Let's always look for repeated words or phrases. Okay, how many times is glory repeated? We have two. So glory two. All right. Anything else repeated? Oh, there we go. Okay. How many times is light repeated? At least two. All right. Is it tied with glory? Is it more? All right. All right. So glory and light are tied. Are there any other words that would go with light or go with glory? Any other words that would kind of fit more with light or fit more with glory? Shine would seem to go with light, right? Okay. Radiant, I think kind of would go with light. Okay. All right. So, so this light glory, I think we're seeing that. Anything else jump out at you? Okay, brightness is there as well. Okay, so we're, we're definitely getting light and glory concept emerging. Is there another word that kind of shows up? Okay, darkness, which is a contrast to light. Okay, so once again, I think that emphasizes the light part. Is there any other word that should just jump out at you since you're in Isaiah chapter 60? Right, yes, yeah, Stacy mentioned that, yes. Alright, so we got, we got light. I think we can see light and glory clearly is a concept that's, a, that's emerging here. Whether we understand anything else, we can all at least see that. Can we agree? Now there's other, there's one other word that you may want to, you're in I, the book of Isaiah. I'm going to stress that again. You're in the book of Isaiah. There's one word there that should jump out at you if, as a good Bible student. And it starts with a G. Gentiles. I think that's pretty important, right? We're in Isaiah, okay? And all of a sudden it's talking about Gentiles, right? All right, now what what, what we're not going to sit there and try to interpret it but I think that's pretty important. Now you have something else showing up here and the end of it I think it's the last verse I think it's verse 6. There's some words used that you may that may go, "Hmm, that sounds familiar," especially this time of year. Golden incense, right? Okay, and kings, okay. Oh, that sounds familiar, does it not? Okay, so i us say, okay, you, you've, we've got some pretty common ideas. Now go to Ephesians. Go to Ephesians. All right, we did pretty good there. We go to Ephesians. Now This one, I'm not going to try to offer so much help. Ephesians chapter three. Ephesians chapter three. All right, now the the lectionary skips verse one. Sometimes they drive that. You remember, I've always say that the lectionary sometimes drives me crazy, right? Because I'm like, why are you skipping a verse, right? But I so I want to stick with it, but I'm not. I'm going to go to verse one because they want to start in verse two, but there's just no way I can start in verse two. I right, start in verse one. For this cause, I Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you. All right. I think that that's important considering Gentiles was used in the Isaiah 60 passage. But the lectionary itself doesn't want us to read verse 1. It wants us to start in verse 2, where we read these words. If ye have heard of the dispensation of, grace, uh, of the grace of God, which is given me to you word. Now, the you word would be kind of interesting to in figure out who the you word is, right? Okay, well, that would take us back to one which is the Gentiles. So now we have Gentiles clearly in play here, right? And then we call, and then we have the, the famous word dispensation, do we not? Which, you know, can spark. Okay, and just simply mean, what is the word dispens? I, say, I, I always have, see my problem with the lectionary? I, 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 administration. But the word dispensation itself simply means what? Does anybody remember? Wait, someone look up the Greek word real quick. Look up the Greek word really fast. Say, so here's my problem with the lectionary. Just reading it, I can, I can turn it into an, a, an hour. So maybe this is an hour. That's all we're going to accomplish. We need to accomplish a lot more in this hour than this, but that's okay. What is the Greek word for dispensation? We studied this when we studied the dispensations. Okay, well, I don't know. We're going to verify. We're going to see. Two. So it's a management oversight doesn't really use the word time there. Typically, we re- kind of refer to it as a period of time, but it's an administration of something. Now, specifically, what's being administrated or are, are kind of being overseen here in this verse? Grace. All right. So this is a dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me, given to Paul, to you or to the Gentiles. So now we have clearly the Gentiles are here, which fits perfectly with, with Isaiah 60, right? Okay, all right, so far so good. How that by, this is a key word, revelation. I'll stop right here. All right, thinking caps on, okay. And Isaiah 60, there was a lot of discussion about light, right, versus darkness, glory, okay. Gentiles are there, right, but revelation. I want you to think that word revelation. When we think of revelation, what do we think of? How do we, what, what is a typical theological definition of revelation? What is a typical theological definition of revelation? Something that has been revealed to us that we could not know apart from some type of divine revelation, right? Okay, we, without divine revelation, we could not know it. We could not understand it. We could not see it. Right. So in a sense, revelation, because it is making something known, then you can see how it could be associated with the concepts of light, right? Okay. Versus darkness. So far, so good. All right. Now let's read this again. How that by revelation, he made. Now there's something being made known, right? Unto me, here's a key word. The mystery. As I uh, uh, unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Something is being repeated here, right? Verse 5, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of man, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ by the gospel. Now, Gentiles is repeated there two times, correct? Right? It's obviously there in Isaiah. And here there is a mystery, Now, what is that mystery? You may think it's simple to figure out. Just so you know, in church history, there is no agreement on what the mystery is. I think the text seems to demand what the mystery is, but I won't go there, right? So, but clearly, we have these concepts in Ephesians. Something is being made known. Something is being revealed, right? A revelation, And Isaiah 60, we have light. And I think in a sense, something is being revealed. Something is being understood. So we have some concepts coming together, right? Now the gospel reading today is Matthew chapter two. Matthew chapter two. Matthew two. Matthew two. Here we go. Say amen when you're there. All right, we're going to go all the way down to verse 12. We're going to go all the way to verse 12, all right? For some reason in my notes, I typed in Matthew 2, 1 through 1, okay? But it's in verse 12, okay? I left a number on my notes, all right? Okay, here we go. I know, it's numbers. I don't even type them right. All right, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we are come to worship him. Now, immediately when I see star, I start thinking of light, Right? Right? I think, and because they see this star, it is revealing something. Right? Okay. So I think we're, we're seeing some common themes show up again. All right. Verse three. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, and Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written, By the prophet, and thou Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, art art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule thy my people Israel. Now please note, they're referencing something from the Old Testament. Right? What verse are they referencing in the Old Testament? Does your Bible have a cross reference? Nobody knows what that's referencing. Okay, what what did you say? Micah five two. Okay, I think that's probably a very good choice. I think that's probably a very good choice. All right, we, we can, but once again they had they had known something. Something had been revealed because of the past words, right? And Herod wants that information. Then uh, Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till they came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. They fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream, once again, there being, something is being revealed, right? They should not return to Herod. They departed into their own country another way. Now, a couple of things here, just so that we put it all together. These wise men, the magi, how, whatever words you want to use, the King James refers to them as what? How does the King James refer to them? Wise men, right? These wise men, please note, they would be what? Gentiles, all right? They're Gentiles. There's the Gentile connection, Right? We have star, there's light. We have revelation, something is being made known, right? We have Old Testament prophecy, where this thing is being made known. So in a sense, we have something that may have been somewhat of a mystery that had been revealed. Someone is seeking out that information. We have a lot of the concepts come together in the Matthew 2 account, right? We have all the concepts come together. So in a sense, the Isaiah passage begins to introduce it in a way that you may not be clear. Uh, Galatians... Or was it Ephesians? Ephesians, right? Ephesians starts, uh, the host. Uh, it brings in the Gentiles and the mystery, right? And then Matthew kind of brings all the concepts together. Now, when we start thinking light, we start thinking revelation, we start thinking mystery being revealed, we start thinking of all of these things, well, all of these things fit in together because today is what day? Today is the day of Epiphany. Now, typically it's celebrated on January the 6th, but it's January the 7th, Epiphany Sunday, depending on which liturgical background you come from. A lot of times you'll see see it on the 6th, but since this is the Sunday, it's it's that's where at least within Catholicism it is being celebrated today. Now, Epiphany has so much to do with a lot of these concepts all right so let's do this we're going to do an overview for the next 30 minutes of some of the basic concepts the origin and the history of it but we need kind of a definition all right so when we think of epiphany the word itself what are we thinking what are some of the definitions for the word epiphany An aha moment, okay that is actually a kind of a that 's a a kind of a paraphrase of a definition, but that 's definitely a part of it. If we start with more of a theological understanding of epiphany it 's an appearance or manifestation of a divine being so it could refer to a it 's not just a word that would be necessarily kept in Christianity, but anything that would tell a story of a manifestation or an appearance of a divine being that would be an epiphany. Now you can understand well why this would be used at this time of year, right? Because this is the time of year that we speak and talk about the appearance of a divine being. One being Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God, who appeared in the flesh, right? That is an epiphany. Now what typically happens is during epiphany, certain events of Christ, in a sense, manifesting his self, or or it becoming clear of who he is, is celebrated. Some cases, right here, the wise men, the magi, are visiting him. Well, you know something significant is taking place, right? There's a star, they give him gifts, and they do what? They worship him, all right? That tells you something. Sometimes the other events that are referred to is the what Jesus does at the wedding feast, because that's where he kind of first manifests his... Deity in his glory and turning the water into wine. His baptism is remembered because a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. These are all these events that can be remembered depending on which year you're, you're celebrating epiphany. But they're all the manifestation of his glory. There's the Isaiah passage or his deity. Another definition is an a, A usually sudden manifestation or perception of the essential nature or meaning of something. So it can be a sudden manifestation or perception of the essential nature of something. Now that kind of fits the Ephesians passage, right? Because all of a sudden Paul understands something is being made manifest and that is the mystery. Now what mystery is that? Well, I mean, we could spend an entire month studying that, but we, we may try to get to that. So it can be something being made manifest. Third definition, an intuitive grasp of reality through something such as an event, usually simple and striking. So this is something happens, and all of a sudden you're like, I get it. I understand now. I get it. I understand. Does that make sense? An illuminating discovery, realization, or disclosure. A revealing scene or moment. So so in a sense, this concept of epiphany really has two basic concepts. Concept one, the manifestation, the revealing, the appearance of a divine being. All right, We got why we would be studying this on January the 7th, right? Because we're still very close to Christmas, which is the ultimate revealing, the reveal, manifestation of the eternal Son of God through the incarnation. We're still thinking about that, pondering that, right? Now, at that time, when Jesus was born, even though it was the manifestation of a divine being, it really wasn't quite understood, Right? Because everyone was, you know, nobody was there. So then what we do, so what they do, the early church did, is let's focus when he kind of makes it public. He makes it manifest. And we really, and if you think about it, the Bible is almost silent through most of those years of his growing up, right? Some, in fact, there's all these books written called the Silent Years or the or the Lost Years of Jesus, and there's all kinds of speculations and ideas about what he was doing. Okay, but the Bible itself is pretty much silent on it, other than when he's they find him in the temple when they, they lose him, you know. But other than that, there's not a much happening. So the church picked certain events. They picked this one because this is a a early manifestation by the fact that these people would travel all of this distance that they were Gentiles that they come and they bring these gifts and they worship him they pick you can see why they would pick the wedding feast because that's really his that's really the beginning of his earthly ministry right turning water into wine demonstrating his power over things right almost as a creator because he's transforming or his ability to transform something and then we can clearly understand his baptism right so they chose these events for the manifestation so so in one hand we could study epiphany and just look at this is where this is how jesus made uh, manifested himself here's what we can learn from that manifestation all right and typically we would probably focus on what his deity because that's what epiphany is about. We would not so much focus on his humanity, we would focus on his deity. So the incarnation focuses primarily on what? His humanity. And epiphany focuses on his deity. Therefore, we could do a little study on the hypostatic union. You, there's a lot of theological ways we could go. But epiphany goes beyond that because it goes to this understanding, this like Oh, I get it. Now, Christianity loves two very important words, Christianity love. Christians love these two words, all right? The one word is revelation and the other word is illumination. Oh, Christians love these two words. We love these two words, do we not? Because Christians like to claim, we like to proclaim that we have two things that the world doesn't have. And what two things do we have? We have revelation. Now, some Christians, and there's even debate within Christianity about this, right? But we like to believe that we have a revelation that the world doesn't understand. And that is what? The inerrant inspired word of God. And because we have this revelation. We no longer walk in darkness, but we now walk in light. And immediately we make the the statement and the claim. Whether we want to say this or not, sometimes sometimes Christians, we don't understand how arrogant we sound to the world, right? We don't understand sometimes the claims we make. You can see why the world may have a little bit of animosity towards us because we come across as arrogant, condescending jerks. Because what we tell the world, we have something you don't. That's why you don't know anything. Now, we may not say it that way, but that's what we're saying. Because we claim to have revelation and they don't. And what do we claim that this revelation does for us? We claim that from this revelation, we know, we understand We see, we're not stumbling around in darkness anymore. This gives us light. This gives us understanding. And you poor fools are wandering around without a flashlight. We not only have the flashlight, we have the spotlight. We get to see. Now you can see that comes across as condescending and arrogant. Even though we may not say it that way, that's what we're claiming. But do we stop there? Oh, Christians are just getting started at that point, right? Because we not only claim that we have this revelation, even people you know who go to churches that claim to be reformed will say something along this. God said to me. God said to me. That takes revelation, and we take it another step further. We claim that God is actually talking to us. Now at this point, if you've got God's word and God is talking to you, <laughs> you, you, you realize the uh, the arrogance now that you sound. All right, if literally the creator of the universe is talking to you, I dare say you are you you are whether you want to admit it or not. You're claiming to be smarter than everyone else because literally the creator of the universe all-powerful, all-knowing, is talking directly to you. And how many people do you know as Christians claim, God said to me, God said to me. You can, I can go, I can, today, I could just go find sermons that are preached today in churches all over Abilene, Texas. And I guarantee you at some point they will say, God said to me, God said, preachers say that all the time. God said to me, God said, and then they'll tell you what God said and, that, and they'll start saying it as if they, they were having like a literal conversation with God. And Christians will just sit in the pew and go, amen, amen. If someone says that, you shouldn't say amen. You should get up. You should call 911 and get them help. Because they're hearing voices. Now, they will say, I didn't hear it audibly. Well, if they didn't hear it audibly, how come they speak as if they were having a conversation? And what do I always, look, I hate punctuation. I hate all of that. But in this particular case, I use it to my advantage. If you're writing that on paper, what does that look like? The minute you say, God said, you're going to put it in quotations. And the minute you put it in quotations, what are you now claiming to be speaking? The very words of God. Now, that's an epiphany. That's a revelation. So Christians claim to have this, the inspired word of God. They claim God is actually talking to them, and then the icing on the cake, the cherry on top, what else do we claim? Illumination. And what does that mean? That we not only have the revelation, not only is God talking to us, we now have illumination so that we can understand the revelation better than you. I'm better than you. And now we don't ever want to say those words, but that's a big claim because now we believe God has not only given us the revelation, he's given us the flashlight. He's given us the special ability to understand it. And there's been multiple times in the history of this church where I'm about to make this claim and it always ticks someone off in the church every single time. It's it's been that way since the beginning, and I I hope it doesn't tick anyone else off today because you guys have heard me say this a million times, but I'm gonna say it. I am sick and tired of Christians claiming to have illumination to understand God's word better than other people because I can say it, I've said it a million times. Christians do not possess any greater insight to understand God's word than an atheist does. And whenever I say that, Christians get mad at me but I've got 2,000 years of church history to prove what? If we have illumination, why can't we agree on anything? Let me start. We're in Isaiah 60. Is there agreement on Isaiah 60? No, there's not. In fact, let let me just pull up one commentary. As soon as I read this, you should immediately know, I think I copied it here. All right, here we go. You ready? This is important. Isaiah 60 is part of the third section of the book. Chapters 56 through 66 focuses on the future restoration of Israel and the coming of the Messianic Age. As soon as I say that 56 through 66 focuses on the restoration of Israel, what will immediately I be met with? Who is Israel and what restoration are we referring to? Nobody will agree on which Israel is being referred to and nobody will agree on which restoration is occurring. And yet everyone will turn around and claim that they have illumination. Well, we can't all have illumination and nobody can agree on what we're being illuminated by. That would tell you the illumination is about how much value? None. None. So epiphany, so I'm going to put forth a philological hypothesis here. I'm going to put a challenge here. Because Christians love revelation and inspiration, and love revelation and illumination. We love these concepts. But we never really, we never realize what it what we're claiming. We're claiming to know more than everyone else. We're claiming to have more knowledge than everyone else. We're claiming that we see more than everyone else. And I know that everyone here will go, I don't claim that. i Yeah, you do. I don't care how humble you try to be. If you claim that you have a book directly from the creator of the universe that gives you knowledge that someone who doesn't have it has, then you're claiming superiority. Does everyone understand that? And let's be honest. Do we not claim superiority over the world? Yes, we do. We claim that we're going to heaven and they're going to. Hell, we claim that our morality is superior to their morality. We claim that our knowledge is superior to their knowledge. There's no way to get around it. So we love revelation and then we love the illumination. That's why, what do Christians claim if we get into an argument with a lost person? You can't understand it. You can't understand. What an arrogant argument. What a way to win a debate. Right? Isn't that a great way to win a debate? Well, you just can't understand it. Until you believe what I believe, you can't understand. Well, isn't, that, isn't it interesting that you win the debate because you're telling me I can't understand it? What, what, a, what, a, what a great way to win debates as Christians. You can't understand it. So we have these, I'm going to put forth a concept here. I, you know that I reject illumination. I reject it. There's just no way. There's, I've got 2,000 years of church history. There's no way that I have some special insight that. that I mean, I like the way Augustine did. How do we understand Scripture? Not because of some special insight, by learning to read. <laughs> right? Using the rules of reading, okay? Right? Because that's just true, is it not? An atheist who can understand language and context and syntax and historical context can probably exegete scripture better than a Christian. In fact, I've listened to too many sermons that demonstrate they can't exegete scripture. I just listened to a sermon last night on the podcast that told me in 1 Corinthians 3 where Paul says, hey, you're carnal Christians, that Paul didn't mean you're carnal Christians because there's no such thing. So Paul was using sarcasm. But they couldn't explain to me how it was using sarcasm. And I'm like, I... I don't even understand. Like, like, there's times I'm just like, I am baffled. Like, how do you come to that conclusion? Because it doesn't follow any rules of reading. Like, we were just this confused here when we found out that Israel doesn't mean Israel, and we looked up three, some, almost 3,000 references, and we to this day still cannot figure out when Israel doesn't become Israel. Right? Makes no sense. But hey, hey, they've got the Holy Spirit, so you know, hey. I didn't even add that to the whole mix of things. All right. So I'm, I, I don't have a problem with the illumination thing. I, I, don't, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Now, revelation, I do believe this is the revelation of God's word. Right? I, or I do believe this is the word of God, right? We all believe that. Now, here's what I think. When we think of a, a epiphany, I think here's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to take, we're not looking for a new epiphany or a new revelation, or a new illumination. I think Christians love that concept, right? What what, what do Christians tell someone when they're going through a difficult time and there's confusion and they don't know what to do and they don't understand? What do we tell, what do Christians constantly advise people? Pray, read your Bible and God's going to show you. You're gonna get an epiphany. You're gonna, oh, it drives me so crazy. I think what we're supposed to do in Epiphany is that we are to take the revelation, the manifestation, the Epiphany that did occur, and then we see what we can learn from that. We're not looking for a new one. Now, the key is, what do we learn from the ones that occurred? And that's what we're going to attempt to do. But I think people look for, we like that idea that we're stumbling around in darkness and all we got to do is do the right things. And God does what? Turns on the light and gives us insight. And then we know what to do. And there's lots of Christians who walk around with that, like, I've got great insight and I can tell. And it's like, whoa, you, you're borderline crazy with that nonsense. Okay. But there we go. So let's get a little. I just want to make sure we at least understand that concept. All right. So let's here's do a little bit here about Epiphany. All right. Epiphany. And we're going to do a quick overview here. Is a Christian. I can't believe we're almost out of time. Epiphany is a Christian holiday that celebrates the revelation of Jesus Christ to the world. And here is some of the basic information about its origin, history, and its principles. So it's a Christian holiday, only for those who follow the liturgical calendar. And what does it celebrate? The revelation of Christ. All right, The word epiphany comes from a Greek word, which means manifestation or appearance. Epiphany originally referred to the manifestation of a deity in ancient Greek religion, but gradually took on a specific meaning in Christianity. (gasps) Oh, no, 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 it can't be. The word is connected. (laughs) Okay, does everyone understand how that works? Words are, if if we tried to eliminate every word that had any connection to anything that was pagan or something other, we probably wouldn't be able to speak, right? The point is, it's just remember, in general, it's a manifestation of what? Any deity. Everybody understand that. The word itself is just a manifestation of deity. It has not a word grounded specifically within Christianity. But over time, it took on a very Christian meaning because, well, Christianity began to spread and become dominant. So then it becomes about the manifestation of what? Christ, right? Does everyone, everyone understands at least that basic concept? All right. History, so there's the origin. It just basically comes from a word that means manifestation and it became about the manifestation of Christ. Any questions? Let me repeat that. We got that? All right, next. Epiphany has its roots in the early Christian church and dates back to, does anybody know when? How far back? Second century. Right. Goes back to the second, so that's pretty early, is it not? That's very early. And Guess what it initially commemorated, what, what, initially what it was about? It was about the baptism of Jesus by John. That's what it was originally focused on. Just that, just that. Well, I mean, they already had probably one second century. They probably had a certain. They were already picking days that they were remembering. Remember, you get back that early. You have Advent was kind of already being designed. They already had. And just remember, why would the early church already kind of have a calendar very early on? Well, because they followed Judaism. Did Judaism not have feast days? Yeah. All right. Who commemorated certain events, right? Passover, tabernacle, right? There were. The harvest, first fruits, right? They had all. So the early church, the early church was, started off would have been predominantly what? Jewish, right? And I guarantee you the Gentiles who came in, there was holidays of those Greek religions, right? There were those religions. Everyone, I mean, it's just something in human nature to have days to remember. So they would immediately would have started just picking days and events to remember. Because the Bible is filled with, the New Testament is filled with, Stories of events, right? The birth, the death, the resurrection, the baptism. It it wouldn't take long to start establishing dates, right? Even if you didn't know the day, you would just say, hey, this is the day we're going to pick to remember that event. And what do I always say? It's not the date that was picked. It's the event. If the event is biblical, we don't care the day. And when Christians start arguing about the day... I, it blows my mind. You, you do realize whatever day you pick, if you do a little bit of investigation, whatever day they picked, it would probably be connected with what? Something pagan. Something pagan. Right? Everybody understands that, right? It's just, it's just I mean, and like the days of our calendar, like Christians get, get caught up in some of the weirdest arguments, all right? So, second century, and what did it, what it at first, it was only about one thing. Jesus' baptism by John the Baptist in the Jordan, all right? Over time, the celebration of Epiphany came to include the following. The visit of the Magi, also known as the three wise men or the three kings, and we know we should not call them the three wise men or the three kings, even though all the way in the back of the church, where the wise men are, right? Because they weren't there initially at the birth. How many do we have back there? Three, all right. Everyone says three, okay? And why do we say three? There were three gifts. Do, you do realize one person can give three gifts. Or, now it does seem to speak of them in the plural, so that means there could be two, but there could have been four. There could have been five. There could be, right? So just note, and then that shows up in hymns, and we just adopt it and, and, and it, and then it shows up in artwork and Sunday school, and then kids just learn it, and then, well, all right. So, uh, but the, known as the visit of the, of the Magi to the baby Jesus in Bethlehem, as well as other events where Jesus' divinity was revealed, such as the wedding at Canaan, Cana, where he performed his first miracle. So usually those are the three major events. Now the three major events are baptism, the visit of the Magi, and the wedding. Those are typically the three major events. Those are typically the three major. Everybody got that? All right, here are the principles typically drawn from epiphany here are the major principles here are the major principles all right the revelation of jesus epiphany signifies the revelation of jesus christ to humanity emphasizing his divine nature and mission on earth it commemorates the moment when jesus identity as the son of god was made known so it's basically the revelation of deity i think that's a good way to put it the first principle is the revelation of deity again The incarnation seems to focus on he becomes flesh. Epiphany focuses on the manifestation of deity. All right? Has everybody got that? All right. Now, you can take those three events that I gave you, baptism, the visit of the wise men, and the uh, wedding, and you could figure out in what ways is deity being made manifest there. That could be an assignment or, you know, a theological assignment, but we won't do that now. But you could do that every epiphany, right? Next, salvation. Epiphany highlights the universal nature of Jesus' salvation. The visit of the Magi, who were not Jewish, but Gentiles, symbolizes that Jesus came to be a savior of all people, regardless of their background or nationality. So this is about, sal- I will call this, So the first one is revelation of deity. I'm going to say this is a revelation of the universality of of his salvation. And when I say universality, I'm not talking universalism where everyone is saved. But this salvation was meant for more than just the Jews, also for the Gentiles. And according to the book of Romans, why did it come to the Gentiles? Because of Israel's hardness, their disobedience, they're pushed aside for the Gentiles. And since we had this conversation before church started, let's make sure we understand that was always a part of his plan, <laughs> okay? Right? It's not like, oh man, Israel messed up. What am I gonna do in the meantime? I know what I'll do. I'll go find some Gentiles. It was always part of the plan, all right? And to say otherwise turns God into it, well, not knowing anything, all right? So principle number one, the revelation of deity. Number two, the revelation of the universality of salvation. Number three, Light and enlightenment. Epiphany is associated with the theme of light. Did you see that in the reading? See why I kept uh, uh, trying to get you to see that? Symbolizing the manifestation of God's presence and truth. It represents the enlightenment of the world through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So it represents enlightenment or light or or revelation. Now, specifically, now I know this is not typically... The part of, I know this is not typically a part of epiphany, but Ephesians, we could say that it demonstrates that this is a time of revelation of a mystery. Now, what that mystery is in Ephesians, we could debate, but it's a, it's a time of revelation, enlightenment. Now, this is where, I don't know about this one, but here we go, all right? renewal and transformation. Epiphany serves as a reminder of the transformative power of encountering encountering Jesus Christ. It calls for believers to reflect on their own spiritual journey, renew their commitment to Christ, and strive for personal transformation. I don't know about that one. Transformation, I don't know about that one. But you can put that down. In history, it's become a, a time for that. I'm run out of time here. Some of the traditions in church history about Epiphany, all right, uh, bless water to symbolize what baptism of Jesus. In many cultures, it's marked. It's marked by festival processions, gift giving, right? Because in a gift giving, what what is being symbolized? If Sarah showed up to church this morning with a gift and it was wrapped, I wouldn't know what it is, right? Until I open it and then, aha, that symbolizes kind of a revelation and an epiphany, right? And it's kind of like Jesus on Christmas, right? He's born, but we just see a little baby, right? And then all of a sudden, the gift is open and we see there's more than a baby there. There is God in incarnate right so and the wise man showing and worshiping him and giving the gifts is kind of the revelation of it you see how it kind of works one all we see is we see the baby we see a human and then all of a sudden we see its deity so that's why the gift giving sometimes they also make something called king's cakes king's cakes it's a special cake i don't know anything about the cake do what it's called king's cakes Mardi Gras is not till like March, right? That's around. That's right before Lent. That's right before Lent. No, no, it's for Epiphany. Um, there's another. I don't know. Um, it's also known as Rosca de Reyes, I guess. I don't know uh, what that is. I don't know anything about King's cakes, but it's a. If you know anything about King's cakes and if they taste good, then someone can make me one for Epiphany. Okay, but um, yeah, King's cakes. I don't, know what the, I don't know anything about the cakes. I don't know anything. I didn't even know it was a tradition, okay? I don't know what it is. But if it's good, make one, okay? <laughs> that's all I'm saying. All right. Are you looking one up? Okay, <laughs> Sarah's gonna look one up. She's gonna tell us what King's cakes are, right? Because I don't know anything about them. We'll give, well, wait, wait. If we have to start the next hour late, that's okay. We need to know what King's cakes are. We, this is the most important part of epiphany, okay? all right. Oh. Okay. Oh, okay. Sorry. No offense. <laughs> but I don't know what's going on either, All right. But there's king's of cakes. Right. They hide things inside of it, and then you become the king of the day. I think that's kind of somewhat blasphemous to do it that way, right? Because it's not about you. Okay. But all right. We, we'll we'll find a way to make anything about ourselves. All right. So. Oh. Yeah. I guess it's You don't know what it is. There, And then you're revealed and aha, but you shouldn't be the king of the day, all right? But so overall, epiphany holds a significant importance in the Christian calendar as it highlights the revelation of Jesus Christ to the world and emphasizes the universal nature of salvation. Those are the basic concepts from it. I would love to dig into those passages a little bit more, but we don't have time. But the main thing to realize is this, as Christians, we have the epiphany or the revelation of Christ in these situations. Our job is to be enlightened from those truths, not seeking future revelation, not looking for God talking to us, and not believing that we have some supernatural illumination to help us better understand the text. Because if we did, we wouldn't have 2,000 years of disagreement because we can't even agree on things related to epiphany. There's not agreement on Isaiah 60. There's not agreement on the mystery. There's probably disagreements on the wise men, right? So immediately that says we need to study these passages and see what we can gain from it. All right, we'll stop right there. Lord God, we come before you. Lord, we acknowledge our own misunderstanding, our own confusion, and we pray that your scripture would be the thing we look to for understanding and enlightenment and not look elsewhere. We ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said,